Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve here with a couple of special guests, Dennis Furia. Hey there. And we have Lauren Brown. Hi, everybody. So Dennis is the designer of a game called Deck of Wonders, and he's here to talk to us about this uh, solo game. Yeah, yeah, one player versus the rules here. (laughs) And we also have Lauren on, and she is the artist for this game. And it was a pleasure to do it, too. (laughs) So in this episode, we'll dive into looking at the game of Deck of Wonders and talking about how the art was created for this game. And I got to tell you guys, the art is phenomenal in this. You guys have to check Mm -hmm. this out. In fact, we're going to have a special reveal in this podcast later, and if you listen to the audio version, unfortunately we can't share it because, well, it's audio. (laughs) (laughs) But on YouTube, we'll have a YouTube version of this, and you can go check it out there. But before we jump into that, I'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. This week, I'd like to thank Brad S., a co-op lover, Justin Young, a co-op champion, and Joe Heloski, also a co-op champion. Thanks to these supporters and all of your supporters that help us keep this channel running and with that let's talk about deck of wonders yeah but before we dive into that a little bit let's talk about uh how we got into the hobby and how we got to the states so dennis why don't you start how did you get into gaming yeah gosh um it's it's been a part of my life as long as i can remember um both board gaming and video gaming uh and and i probably have a, even a deeper history with video games but I can remember, um, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of uh, five and playing Stratego with my brothers and, and games like that was, was always a fun pastime. And I just kind of kept it up in one form or another and, and then obviously got introduced to more modern board games and, and discovered a whole world there as I found new, new friend groups. And then I am in the video game world. I'm a big fan of the game XCOM and that whole series. Um, and I found out there was a game called XCOM, the board game and had to have it because I had to have all things XCOM, um, got it sheerly on the name alone and realized, first off, this is an amazing co-op game. It was my first exposure to co-op gaming. Uh, and second off, it's an amazing solo game. And so that opened up a world of possibilities to me. And I have been playing, I will say, ever more complex games ever since. Like I, What I love in games is co-op and complexity. Um, and I've, I've chased anything that fits that. So Gloomhaven, yes, please. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth, please. Uh, you know, anything like that. Yeah, you fit right in with our listeners, I think. We all love co-ops and definitely complex games for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a chance to play uh, XCOM at Gen Con, uh, what's it, a couple years back. I, I was late to trying that board game out. And I had a really fun experience with that one. That's a, That was fun. It's that dice mechanic that puts you luck is pretty punishing, but with the right group, it's it's a blast. Yeah, well, and, and you get to you know jump up and scream and jump around the table uh, kind of moments when when stuff works out. For sure, yeah. My wife is a huge fan of XCOM, so she <laughs> buys all those video games, and I normally wind up watching her play quite a bit too. So, Lauren, do you play any games, or how'd you get involved in helping out with the gaming industry here? So I've always been a gamer ever since I was a kid, just like any kinds of, you know, games, video games, board games. But later in life, during grad school, I actually got into Magic the Gathering. And I've always just loved the, you know, the art style of a lot of the cards and especially the ones that had more um, art that was closer to my style, which is really has an emphasis on line art and whimsy. 
um, there weren't that many cards like that, but when I saw some come up that had that style, I was always really excited about it. So it made me realize that there was a possibility for this kind of work to fit into tabletop games as well. So when I attended Gen Con, um, it was actually my first year last year doing the Artist Alley, Dennis had approached me and he told me that, you know, he thought my art style was a perfect fit for this game that he was working on. And I was, you know, and I was like, well, this sounds great. Like, you know, tell me more about it. I would like to see it. And <laughs> it was a great feeling, you know, when you get the art briefs for a game like this, when you see your own work inside of those briefs, um, it was a really, it was a really nice moment. So it was a project that happened to be perfect for me. Um, you know, it was something that I could really just have fun with and play around with. You know, I'm happy that this kind of style can be more in the tabletop gaming sector. Uh, because I know a lot of it has, you know, there's a lot of like high fantasy, really painterly stuff. And I'm glad that there's room for, you know, a whimsical style like mine too. But essentially, yeah, Gen Con was my, my opening into actually like working on, um, on a game like this, which I'm really grateful for. Oh, that's awesome. And Lauren is being very humble. Um, I had been stumbling around Artist Alley, not having the vocabulary for line art and whimsy. Like those are the two perfect words for what I was looking for. In <laughs> Wonders. But I didn't know them. Like I just, I just knew I had an idea in my head, um, not even fully formed. I, I just, you know, I'd bounce around from artists and be like, I'm kind of looking for, I don't know. And then I'd, you know, flub my words for five minutes. And I walk up to uh, Lauren's booth and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of looking for, for, and you know the skies opened angels sang i'm like this this is i want this <laughs> this, <laughs> this is this is the thing um and it was just from then on out it was an easy choice um and 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 like lauren said like i, I basically briefed her with like i like this i like this i like this off of your site and uh, go do that which she she does very very well <laughs> and i was like well this is perfect i do this anyway and it was a really nice feeling when you described the themes of Deck of Wonders to me and just uh, what you wanted to infuse in it. And I was like, well, that sounds like all the things that I do already. So this is <laughs> this is kind of a no-brainer for me to say yes to. Uh, it's perfectly suited, so I know that I will enjoy working on this no matter what. And it happened to, to be exactly that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been a great experience so far. <laughs> I really appreciate that you, know, that you sought me out and was able to find me for who I was. Mm, you know, yeah, it's, it's for sure. That, that, project, that kind of project comes along, so... It's been a blast so far. That's a fantastic origin story. I love it. And <laughs> to our listeners, if you ever get a chance to go Gen Con, I highly recommend walking through like the artist oh section God. of Gen Con. It is fascinating. The skill and the talent that's there is I love it. I love taking a break from the gaming, just spending a, a huge chunk of hours just browsing. It's amazing. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, Gen Con. It was really intimidating actually for me to go uh, to table there at first because I had got, I had attended um, the year previous and walking around the artist alley was super intimidating because there were so many veterans of the fantasy art industry and, you know, people who have been there for 10, 20, 30 years. And, you know, then this year it was just me with my table with flowers and teal and, you know, <laughs> cute, like, <laughs> super cute art and like, you know, Pokemon, um, but also, you know, just my original art and hoping that people would accept it and, you know, realizing that people actually responded really well to my art and the fact that I could get this project and other projects as well. It said a lot that, you know, there was a space for what I had to say too. And it was really, it was awesome to be able to find that out. They definitely had worked on diversifying their artist alley. And I think it really served them well to do that. 
but there's a lot of just amazing content at Gen Con. It's, I also highly recommend it. It was, it's so much fun to be there and everybody is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> sure. yeah, I recommend it as well. Although um, I don't know if I'm allowed to admit this. I haven't technically attended Gen Con. Um, when, when I went last year, I attended the Starbucks across the street from Gen Con. Oh my God. An imposter. <laughs> I was, I, it was, it was too late for me to get a badge. And like, I had, a, I had a half formed idea and like cards that had no art on them that I built in PowerPoint. And I was like, I can't shell out for a vendor booth on something that I literally printed yesterday <laughs> with no art, um, in a dream. And so literally I was like, what could I, I know? I'll, you know, I'll sit in the Starbucks. The line is, is out the door and then people have to wait 20 minutes to get their drink once they order. And so I basically had the best seat in the house, a nonstop flow of people who with nothing better to do but listen to me pitch my stupid game. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, and, and one of them <laughs> – yeah, one of them. One of them was an artist um, in Artist Alley, and he's like, "You really got to come. Like, if you're looking for art, which clearly you are, like, you got to come and see. And like, I, even though you don't have a badge, just tell them like, I, you're, I'm inviting you to my booth, and I, it's fine for you to come in and come see me. So I did. I went in and saw him, and then um, you know walked around the alley. So that's a uh, that's a uh, my my scandalous secret. Sorry, anyone <laughs> runs Gen Con. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm curious as to who snuck you in. Pokemon <laughs> 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 Blast or Now they're all cool. Like the artists are really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll talk more about art in a second, but I think it might be good for our listeners to understand what is Deck of Wonders. What type of game are we talking about here? Yeah, yeah. Talk about burying the lead. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Deck of Wonders is a uh, one-player expandable card game. Um, Fantasy Flight Games has a living card game trend uh, trademarked, but a one-player expandable expandable card game with legacy elements. And the idea is that it captures the feel of playing games like Magic: The Gathering or Hearthstone or any any kind of games in that CCG space. But it's in a solo format that is you versus the rules, and that evolves as you play. Story-wise, you want to talk about whimsy. Um, the story is that you've stolen the Deck of Wonders from Fate herself, who's kind of this deity in, in this world. Um, and the Deck of Wonders is a very powerful magical artifact of hers. And she is sending all manner of magical minions after you to take it back. And as you're facing off against them, you have to play them, outplay them with the Deck of Wonders itself to stay a step ahead, ahead of Fate. And that's that's the story that surrounds the game. Yeah, it's an awesome description. And I thought it was fascinating how it's all one deck. So the mm -hmm. same deck you use to play your cards is the same deck that plays against you. It's a fascinating concept trying to have like almost a multi-use card concept. Yeah, so every card has a, a, a light side and a dark side, a good side and a bad side. Um, and so when you build your deck, you can't just throw in overpowered cards. You can't just be like, oh, this is, you know, I paid lots of money and opened lots of packs, so I have this legendary that no one, you know, can counter or whatever. If you put in a card that has a powerful effect for you on the player side, like as not, it's going to have a very powerful effect for the villain on the villain side as well. And so the only way you're going to win playing Deck of Wonders is by understanding how those cards interact together. And the only way you're going to win is the fact that you have a human brain driving your side, whereas the other side is kind of attacking mindlessly as it is fated to. Yeah, that's fantastic. And this game sounds pretty challenging. Uh, I know you've been talking about aiming for a certain win ratio. Do you mind sharing that with the listeners? Oh, absolutely. So um, I felt weird about it until I had a friend point out two things uh, to me. So first off, the win rate is around 30%, or at least you know what I'm targeting as a designer 
um, and a very mediocre uh, collectible card game player is 30%. So it's 30% for me and most of the people who play test. I'm sure people will break it wide open, but that's that's another story. The two things that made me feel good about that is one, the card game solitaire, like you know, playing card solitaire, is a, a 40% win rate if you're playing well. So it's right in that same range. Uh, and then the second thing that uh, a friend pointed out to me, a, a mentor in the industry said, you know, if you're playing a four player uh, competitive game and, and things are even, your win rate is about 25%. And people still love playing competitive games that have four or more people around the table. And so that really took the anxiety out of um, it, my personal bent is that I love difficult games. I love games where I feel like a win is earned and even scrapped for in every sense of the word. And so, you know, I liked the idea of it being more difficult. I wasn't sure if other people would. And with those two kind of points of comparison and, and reframing for me, I was like, oh yeah, that, that does feel like the, the right place to be. So one thing about the, a lot of these board games is you have an army of creatures sometimes, or maybe a few creatures and you have some enemies to fight. And normally you can just attack with one guy and choose how you can do damage to other guys. But you've created an interesting system here with a priority order, which creates what you can call battle lines in this game. You want to talk a little about that and how that changes your options and being able to attack and defend? Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to create the feel of playing Hearthstone or playing Magic the Gathering, but in solo. And the defining characteristic of those games is there's a human on the other side trying to outplay you. Um, and so probably the biggest design challenge in all of this is, is how do you create an experience that feels like facing off against someone, facing off against this villain, um, and that there's an intelligence and, and a design behind how they're acting while making it simple enough for a player to, um, to automate easily themselves without breaking flow. And the crazy uh, solution that I came to as I experimented was the idea of the player having agency over the villain's attack order. So limited agency over what the villain does, but they're always going to follow a specific set of rules, um, which I'm, I'm calling the priority system. So every player minion, when it's in the battlefield, has a priority. And the villain is always going to attack the highest priority minion. And for the most part, higher priority minions are... I mean, I don't know how else to say it. They're higher priority, right? <laughs> they are. If, if there was a human on the other side, in most situations, that is the minion that they would focus on or represents the biggest threat to them, either because it's got high stat line, either because there's an effect on it that makes it dangerous. And so those minions tend to be higher priority. And the villain will always attack and kill the highest priority minion if its collective minions are able to. The way that the player has agency in that is the player gets to dictate what order the villain minions attack in. And think of this as, you know, I, I really love the idea that in this, in this world, you've pissed off fate. Like you are on fate's bad side. She does not like you. Um, and so the rules are slanted against you. Um, and you are kind of this smaller force that has to scrap and, and outsmart objectively more powerful opponents. And so this priority system and you choosing the order that villain minions attack um, almost represent you as the guerrilla force kind of picking your battles. And by influencing the order that the minions attack, you can influence how efficiently they take care of your board. So, um, you know, you could potentially force all the smaller minions to kind of run themselves against the rocks of one bigger minion before, you know, the, the larger minions on the villain side attack. There are situations where that's advantageous. There are situations where it's not. 
And, and by messing with that kind of order, it almost becomes a puzzle on the villain's turn. How do I order these attacks in the least effect, uh, efficient way for the villain? And uh, you know what that means, uh, what is most advantageous to you within the villain's turn changes every single turn. Maybe you're trying to conserve your personal health as the player. Maybe you want to protect a key minion at the expense of your health. You know, maybe you just need a final burst of damage and you know you have to protect this much damage um, that's the, or this much threat that's been built up on the board. And by playing with the priority system, you can influence all of that through the choices you make while always following that rule that the villain is not going to ignore high priority minions. So that's kind of, it's, uh, it's a concept that, that honestly, I've, I've struggled to find a very concise way to articulate. So, so hopefully someone hearing that for the first time is like nodding their heads instead of scratching their heads. <laughs> but uh, when you see it in action, it's very, very intuitive. And it makes the game feel, even as a solo game, like you're facing off against another player. Yeah, for sure. The description sounds a little intimidating sometimes, but honestly, when you see the cards and see the game, I mean, I recommend you guys to go take a look at the playthroughs out there. There'll be a few of them. In fact, I think we might have our own playthrough on our channel in the future mm -hmm. for this game. And it's it makes a lot of sense. It's quick to resolve, and it's a fun puzzle. Yeah, it, it, looked, it was really smooth watching it. So one thing I want to ask about is you mentioned about the legacy aspect of this where you can open up packs and customize your deck can we talk a little bit more about that like how can you customize the deck can you put whatever cards you unlock in there or do you have set guidelines uh because i know some people are really like having like wide open options on what they can throw in other people like having more mm -hmm. constrained approach yeah that to talk about that we probably need to talk about the game's villains and, and like i said fate is sending people after you um and laura and i and i have talked it's an interesting idea of like i, I don't think you're going to see fate herself in any of the art, um, or I guess Lauren has control over that. You're probably not going to see her in any form that you would recognize um, without being explicitly told it's there. I, you know, I don't think you'll see her in the art. However, she's sending her villains after you. And when you start the game, you don't choose who you are because you're you. You know, you're you're the hero of the story. You, you're choosing the villain that you face off against. Uh, every villain has cards that you are forced to play with if you are facing off against that villain. And that comprises about half of your deck. You then get to build the rest of the deck from a collection of cards. Initially, that collection is about three times as large as it needs to be. So there's a pretty wide swath of cards that you can work with. And you, you build your deck in response to a, a villain's unique rules. Every villain also has rules that modify the game and the villain's cards. Um, and so you think, what, what will combo well with these? What will counter some of the more powerful things I'm seeing on their side? And again, I just personally, I love that kind of mulling over your options and kind of wargaming in your head even before you start playing. And so that's a big part of the game. That initial collection, though, is going to grow, like you described, because every villain also has legacy packs. Uh, you don't know what's in them, but the villain will have certain conditions, um, you know, above and beyond just winning and losing, certain conditions that when you achieve that sub-objective, you'll stop and you'll go and you'll open up whatever legacy pack corresponds to it, you'll add it to the game, and then continue playing with the game modified in some really interesting ways by the cards that you added. You can imagine, you know, if you're if you're doing really well, maybe you open up something that makes the game harder. If you're getting kicked around a little bit, maybe you open up something that, that makes the game easier. In general, my design philosophy is whatever strategy got you to open that pack should be modified by the pack you open. 
so let's say you were you're you're being hyper aggro, right? You're playing an aggro deck and you're just going face all the time, and that's being successful for you. That's going to open a legacy pack that maybe has some defensive cards or cards with taunt to borrow Hearthstone's parlance, and and that sort of thing. So the game is ever evolving as you play in response to the way that you're playing. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'm a big fan of the living card games from Fantasy Flight Games. I know a lot of our other content creators are. I think we mm-hmm. all play them. <laughs> So it's right down our alley, and I'm a former Magic the Gathering player myself, and sounds like, Lauren, you are too. I, I am, remember. yes. I'm currently a Magic player as well. <laughs> even oh, though you I currently are. Uh, curious, though, what type of decks do you like in Magic the Gathering? Oh, I'm all about green. Um, just growing all of my creature armies and um, just destroying my opponents with things that fly over their heads. But um, <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, green, white, um, healing my own creatures and... Uh, and just devastating the board. But this concept for this game sounds really interesting too, because I also like to be able to change the rules up for it to, you know, to change like the mechanics to, to cater it to what kind of game I want to play. And I like that this game gives you the option to do that. Yeah, for sure. I love mulling over. I hate to put this card in my deck. Do I not? And I feel like for some of the like living card game and magic the gathering, like I spend, you know, really a lot of money for this really powerful card and I was able to put it in my deck. But for yeah. this game, like you mentioned <laughs> earlier, you, may not want to do that because it can bite you back real hard so i really like that concept a lot that was like you have to be careful about what you're putting in there because you may not get this card (laughs) yeah this is it's great for you it's also great for the other guy um i'll say like that that idea of especially for the solo experience like i read an article recently just about how the solo experience is so much slower and just more pensive and people people will spend just you know, maybe hours, I don't know, um, you know, pouring over cards and thinking through it. And I think that's part of the reason it was so important to me to find an absolutely gorgeous art style to have the cards in. Like these are, these are not cards that are just kind of slapped together. Every single one is an absolute work of art and full credit to Lauren for that. Aw, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's a great segue into talking about the art of this game because I, I know when I was first introduced to this, like, oh, Deck of Wonders, it's a kind of a Magic Gathering type solo game with with some cool art. And and I went to look at the art and I was like, open up the first image, like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I had to quickly like run around, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this art, it's so amazing. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, and the cool thing about this game, because like we mentioned earlier, the, it's kind of a multi-use cards almost, where one side of the card is for the player and you flip it one around 180 and it's for the, the baddie, the bad guy you're fighting against. Fighting mm-hmm. against. Yes. And so you've got this interesting dichotomy of like a similar theme of an art on one side and like the evil version on the other side. And it's, it's really cool. Oh, that, that was the most fun to play with was how to basically take the core art that I'd made for one side of the card and modify it to clearly represent this change. It's like not necessarily an evil change, but it's just a change that comes over. And whether or not that was just a state change for the character or whether or not it was a narrative progression it was really interesting to kind of experiment and see what worked best for what that card represented when you flipped it over. It was a, it was a really unique art challenge and I had a lot of fun with it. And Dennis also had a lot of really good feedback, you know, for how to make those cards really pop, you know, when you flipped it over to the villain side and, you know, seeing how it worked for them on like a different perspective, whether or not it was a change of nature or whether or not it was, um, you know, just like a reveal on the other side or, or just a more aggressive version so it was uh, it was a really interesting experiment to do, and it's still ongoing. 
I'm really looking forward to more ways that I can flip that art and make it exciting for the player. Yeah, you, you talk about multi-use kind of mechanically for the card, but the, the format lends itself to multi-use for storytelling as well. Exactly. So art-wise, it was a really fun challenge. That's cool. Do you start with like one side of the art? Do you prefer like prefer like the player's side and flip to the, the bad, bad guy's side? or? Well, in the sketch versions, usually what I do is I like to flesh out the entire look of the card first to make sure that both sides are playing well together. And sometimes there's certain cards that give me a little bit more leeway than others. Like if I realize that the upside down art isn't working, I can flip it horizontally and see it's like, oh, maybe that orientation looks a little bit better. But then some of them, um, you know, like the forest troll, that one was one where I got to actually blend the two sides together and just like to show those two, those two parts of its nature. It's essentially two sides of the same coin for this creature. And so, yes, it gave me that, that allowance to do that. And that was definitely a card where I focused on doing the whole art all at once. But for the most part, it was just like, for the most part, it was just, you know, sometimes I would take the top of the card and then it's like, okay, like, how can I make this other side exciting? And how can I make it uh, varied enough where the player gets, you know, interested and invested in all these little small details and Easter eggs that they could pick out? And it's like, oh, this is how it changed. Like, what's different on this side? Like, oh, what's revealed? Like, what do we see? And mm -hmm. so I wanted it to kind of be a progression of, um, of an experience for the viewer and the player to, like, to find some joy and um, excitement those two sides of those cards. And I, I would love to chime in and just say one of the one of the most amazing things for me in this whole experience is I'm along for that same ride because you know I, I pour a lot of love and story into like the general idea for the card up front. And then to have Lauren kind of take that and craft that and and add all this nuance to it that I never ever in a million years would have gotten to myself. Like I get it back and it's this whole gift just to like open up and see it evolved <laughs> beyond yourself. And just, I, I'm, you know, I guess that's trite in, in the nature of collaboration, right? But it's just so cool to see multiple minds coming together on an idea. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a real joy to be able to work on it. And, you know, like the briefs that you've been giving me, you know, like each card comes with a brief and each card comes with references. You know, like you had stated earlier, Elsa Furia had done the original card sketches to kind of set the flavor of what each one was supposed to be. So that was a really helpful guide. And then I wanted to take that art and really expand on the world and like what that could look like and change the different perspectives that a player would be able to see. It's like, you know, are we, you know, on the ground in front of this corgi or are we like looking at the straight on as a design or are we in the same room with this Noma Shervent? Like there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that, um, that this art could be adjusted. And so I wanted to make not only a style that was consistent, but also varied perspectives into this world of Deck of Wonders. And so each card gives you hopefully a different experience with that. Yeah, that's a good uh, lead into one of the questions I want to ask. Because I know we have a lot of folks that like to listen to a podcast or, or I don't want to get into some game design themselves. And, and how do you communicate your concept or your game concept and translate that to art? Like you have to provide some guidelines, some keywords, but... Uh, what are some examples of like good means of communicating that and maybe some ways that th doesn't work so well? Yeah. So, you know, what uh, I don't have the, the skill um, or vocabulary for the visual desi design side, but where, where my strength lies is on the story side. And so kind of where, where I focused for, for these cards often was kind of some of the story behind them because that's what came naturally to me. And so my advice to designers is, you know, if if you have that narrative kind of mind, pour pour into that in the brief. If you are a hyper technical designer and you could speak to exactly how the mechanics 
of this card are going to change the game and why it's cool from a gameplay perspective, lean into that. You can speak from your strength and you have strengths in, in a way that will then inspire other people who have strength in the design side. So for me, that looked like leaning into the narrative side. And I pulled from all sorts of different backgrounds. I mean, I, I knew that I, I wanted to stay away from like traditional elves and dwarves. Like I knew this was a whimsical, you know, kind of fantasy realm, but I was just kind of jaded with elves and dwarves. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, they're not going to exist. Ha, I get, you know, I have control of that. And so then, yeah, <laughs> then my question was, okay, what's, what's there instead? And, and what are the interesting twists on that? Especially knowing that everyone in this world has to interact with fate in some way as a very real presence or as a, as a deity um, that they all need to reconcile with in some way. So I, I put a lot of story behind cards in terms of the, you know, the, the creatures that were in them and what their background was. And, you know, we've mentioned forest troll. The story behind that is, is trolls in general are just a biome of nature that has become so pure and concentrated that it gains consciousness. And that's like the origin of the different types of trolls. And you can see that then kind of came out in Lauren's design where it, it literally is like the forest came to life in, in all its beauty and, all, and, and in all its ferocity at the same time. And so that was, that was for me what was effective. I, I included notes on you know, the place I wanted it to occupy mechanically, but I don't think I'm as evolved as other people on that. Uh, I included lots and lots of reference images, which I, I think I learned through working with Lauren. You, you don't want, and, and this is, Lauren, I think you can speak to better than me. You don't want images that are, go make this. You want images that are, it feels something like this. And, and images that kind of evoke and provoke and draw a response. And then the artist's reflection of that response, like the, your artist who you've hopefully chosen because you love their style, is going to respond to those examples in a way that is authentic and beautiful. Um, and that, I think, is what's worked so far. But I, again, I, I defer to Lauren for what's actually been helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, to Yeah, to lead into that, I think working with your briefs have been one of the most helpful briefs that I've worked with. Um, oh, I've, I've definitely gotten a lot of good ones, but the fact that there was narrative to back up what you kind of wanted to, the player to get out of that card, and then the reference images that may not have all shared the same style, but it had a general feel to it that kind of evoked what you want this card to represent. It all helped to kind of then lend me my voice to be able to take my creativity and, you know, and convey exactly what you wanted. And it's always really nice to have a client who knows what they want, because I know like any artist who's listening to this podcast, like, pro like probably knows what it's like to work with a client who doesn't know what they want and who kind of keeps changing their mind. And, <laughs> and it's really frustrating because it's just like, okay, like it's the whole thing where I know it when I see it, but it's just like the fact that you have these details that, um, don't restrain me, but kind of just give me a gist and a sense of how this card is supposed to make you feel. I think that was really the most helpful because it gave me my creative freedom without leaving me in the dark. It was a really good balance of, um, of both of those things. And so it made it really easy to, for me to then be like, okay, like maybe I can insert some of these elements from this one reference and one of these elements here, mostly my style, give it some movement, have an Easter egg here where like, you know, like maybe like these leaves change color or something like that. Mm -hmm. And have it be expressive in that way and those briefs really freed me up to do that so um i think that's a really really good example of how to put that together for an artist if you're a designer working on a brief like that so lauren you mentioned one thing that uh, i wanted to ask about and that's what do you do when you do run into 
a piece of art you've created and you share it and you wind up getting feedback like, uh, that's not what I want. I need, I need change. And how do you approach that? Do you need to just start over? Are you able to like modify your existing art? Or what's, what's the solution to that? Oh no, any good client relationship, um, like the one that we have doesn't require me to ever have to start over because the brief was so clear and because the references kind of gave me a good sense of what direction to go in. And so when I send in art, it's never just the final art. It's always uh, the sketch first, then the inks, and then the final art. So nice. at any stage of the process, if there's any major design changes, it's, uh, it's addressed before I get too deep into uh, creating the art. But there have been, there certainly have been revisions, but um, I think for the most part, they've all been really reasonable and not terribly time consuming and difficult to make. And so it's just basically making sure that I'm paying attention to all the instructions that Dennis wrote in the brief. Um, if I you know, made an executive decision and changed the design and that's not what the intention was, then I can go ahead and change it back. But because I've been sending the work at different stages of the production, they're usually the only changes that used to come up are changes that are like in the sketch and then color changes for the final but color changes are really straightforward to make but really it's just like once i get the sketch out i i have already read the brief i've already looked at the references and i've already tried to capture the gist and usually we're relatively on the same page by them so it's actually not been su super time consuming to have to go back and make revisions and start like nobody should ever have to start over. That would be so bad. <laughs> For sure. And I've, and I've, I've had to, I've gone through that before um, with other projects where they're just like, I don't want to start again. And I'm just like, this isn't really like, you know, at that point, I'm just like, send me a reference of what you want and like what you're expecting. You know, like if you can go online and see something that like, you know, you know, it when you see it, it's like, well, I'm sure it's out there already. So just show me the style or, what you're aiming for and show me that but fortunately the brief had covered that ask already so i didn't have to i didn't ever have to pivot so hard that something had gotten completely thrown out so it's definitely a really good um, example of how to create a brief that's clear enough for an artist to follow and gives you the results that you need nice i will say that that, that process of sketch to ink to color is is really cool to watch on my side. I know there's a ton of labor and, and, and love and, and all that stuff that goes into it on your side. So I I, I don't know how how um I don't know by the time you send to me the finals how tired you are of looking at that piece because I'm sure you're spending so much time on it. Um, but it's it's really cool that the sketch is kind of this general idea, but it's very you know you're almost seeing it kind of through a mist. It's 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 the the feel is there, but there's so much that's not realized yet. And then the ink is where a lot of those Easter eggs and very bespoke touches start showing up. And like, um, that's fun to see. And then uh, the color is just this breath of life where it, it feels, you know, a hundred times realer in ink than it does in sketch. And then a thousand times realer in, in color. And it's just, it takes it to a whole new level. So that process um, to be able to see all stages of it is, is really cool. And I, I suspect that's why kind of art books where you get to see that kind of stuff are so popular. Oh, absolutely. It's always it's always really fun to to see other artists processes for sure and to see how their thought process works in the sketch phase. But then like what methods they use to take to tighten their work and how they really make it pop out and stand out. And so um, the process of making one of these cards come to life has been just like fun because I'm just like, OK, like how can like I have the sketch, but how can I like make this even more detailed or how can I make this more exciting? And then with the color version, I'm like, okay, like now we have our inks. Now I know generally what I'm doing. Like, what can I do to make all these elements that I've worked so hard on now pop and make the viewer notice 
what I want them to see. And so with art making, it's a it's a game of like, you know, creating that illusion of, you know, like, okay, I want this art, this person to first look at this part of the troll and then their eye goes down here because I put this color here. And so, you know, mm. making art is a puzzle all on its own. You know, to be able to take somebody else through that journey is always really rewarding, especially when they respond really well to it. So, you know, it's it's the most gratifying thing for an artist to have their intent come through as they needed it to. Um, and I feel like largely I've been experiencing that on this project. And that's part of the reason why it's been so much fun to work on. Mm-hmm. That And I get to, you know, work in my style, which is just a, a joy. <laughs> I get to do the thing I do. You know, a big part of that, too, is movement and getting a sense of kinetic energy. Uh, that's something that I try to infuse in all of my art um, because I have an animation background, but I ended up becoming an illustrator because I felt like my skills were more served to illustration. But I always wanted to keep that sense of movement and that sense of just energy in every piece. And I hope that comes through in, in the cards that I've made so far. So we, we talked about sending briefs. But you don't just take the breeze and just build off there. How do you like infuse your own inspiration or your own twist to the brief to create the art that you wind up sharing? Well, sometimes if I feel stuck on a certain piece, uh, what I do is just look to the artists that inspire me and look to the themes that inspire me. So, for example, if there's an outfit that I can't figure out how to come up with or I'm like, mm, like I don't really, I'm not inspired to make this outfit. I don't really know what I want to put on this pixie. I'll just like, you know, go on, I, I use Pinterest largely to organize my art boards and my inspiration boards, but I have various different um, boards for character design, for creature design, for costume design. You know, I just like look through the archives of like what other artists have done that are, you know, way better than me and see kind of what elements they incorporated into their work and how creative they have gotten with, um, you know, certain things about, you know, how to create clothes out of twigs or how to make it out of leaves or like what do they do with fairy wings? And that goes back into, you know, it's like, okay, like, how would I take that and interpret it for my own style and kind of unblock myself from that rut? It hasn't happened that much in this game, because again, um, a lot of the work is something that's already suited to what I love to do, but it's always really nice to have those references and those inspirations around you just to to take that base and incorporate it into the art, because it can only serve to make it better. And it's definitely all been very true to like, you know, what I usually do, but just having something to look at and refer to and, you know, get ideas from people is, is a really fun thing to do. And so that's largely, that's largely how I keep myself inspired. And sometimes I just look at, you know, pictures of nature, like, you know, mushrooms or clouds or leaves, you know, just like mostly mushrooms. Yeah. But, yeah, like, there's something about like, you know, like in my all in all of my art, there's like there's like things in nature, like, you know, for example, mushrooms, where I'll see just a colony of mushrooms and it looks like a little city. And like that will inspire me like so thoroughly that I'll find a way to incorporate that or just like the shapes of trees and like the the designs of bark and, you know, all those little nuances that make nature beautiful is something that I want to incorporate into my art. And the fact that I've been able to do that so freely with this one, because it's all in the forest and, you know, there's creatures made out of trees and things like that. It's just like, oh, this is perfect. Like, this is just, it gives me so much 
freedom to explore what I really like to do and what I really value in my own art. Yeah, I, I also feel like I need to clarify when I when I say that I'm not saying haha shrooms, like literally you have a lot of really cool stuff inspired by mushrooms. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. The, the physical plant or the fungus, I guess, in uh, in nature. That is that is completely unironic and I don't wanna I wanna make sure I don't come across that way. Oh yeah, no, um, totally. And you yeah. I know you have one of that that print too. <laughs> yes, the mushroom monster. Yes. Uh, which by the way, and, and sorry, Steve, I, I told Steve at the beginning of this, like Lauren and I usually correspond via email. So all this random stuff comes up, but I, I bought some prints from her of her other work and they come and my four-year-old son sees the mushroom monster and instantly has every question in the world. So I'm going to have to send you a list. <laughs> Where are they going? Why are they glowing? What are they holding? Yada, yada, yada. And just on and on and on. They're fascinated by it. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I, I also wanted to point out in what you're describing um, is a really, really great tool for a designer who doesn't know who they want to work with or what style they want for their game yet. Go to artists that you admire and then look at who they follow. Because exactly what you're saying, Lauren is following a lot of really cool people. And I will fully admit, Lauren, I've gone to your feed on on multiple occasions, like your, your Twitter or your Insta, and just creeped on who you're following because I can yes. go into that and see cool stuff that like, it's, it's not you, but it's inspired you. And that just gives you so many amazing branches out. Oh yeah, for sure. Like anything that you can take from like just artists that are around you, even if it's not in the style that you might want, it still kind of gives you a sense of like, oh, like I really like this, like the design of like the way this, you know, uh, this creature looks with the horns coming out and like, or it's like, oh, like, wow, this element of this grass skirt or something like that is really cool. And like, you know, it just gives you kind of ideas of, you know, what you could put in your brief, your designer, or if you're an artist, it's like, oh, like maybe I can incorporate a version of that in my style, um, you know, cause it's, it's not stealing, it's just getting inspired by other people's work. And I think everybody naturally does that anyway, just based off of their experiences with observing the world and observing the things that you find beautiful. You know, it's a natural part of the process, but doing it intentionally really helps to inform a better product. So it's definitely been a joy to be able to share that. And I'm glad that you've been able to see that through my Twitter. <laughs> yes, indeed. If you're ever interested, you should totally look at my Pinterest board someday. It's it's public. So um, you can just see all the cool stuff that I put in there and, and how in-depth it goes. Uh, mm -hmm. It's definitely been a huge source of inspiration. So I, I would recommend it. <laughs> Very cool. I should have shared this with you before. Oh, I'll the Pinterest board? My Pinterest board, yeah. Sweet. Now, now I found another thing I can do to procrastinate. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pinterest is such a time sink. Oh my goodness. You could just mm -hmm. go in there for hours just finding cool stuff. So it sounds like this is a, could be a fairly long process of like taking the debrief and like look for sources of inspiration and creating these various phases. How long does it take to create like a, a given piece of art? Well, usually the sketch phase, that's it actually takes one of the longest because it's it's the idea uh, it's the concept that always kind of, um, you know, kind of gets me going because I want to do like several different sketches before I land on something that I'm happy with. So I'll spend like, you know, like three, four or five hours on just the sketching, even though the sketch looks really simple. Oftentimes, like I want, I want the idea to come across. The inks for me are the most fun part because I love to ink. Um, it's just like where I can turn my brain off once I have a good sketch going and just, uh, you know, put on an audiobook, put on some music and just vibe out for a while and just like really just like zen my zen moment so this guy the inks are probably the quickest and the color uh the color takes the longest because um i really want to make sure that the color palette is harmonious it's easier now that i have you know kind of the established look of the rest of the card game because i want everything to look cohesive 
without you know standing too much in like blending too much in with each other I, I want each card to be distinct but at the same time i want it to be known that it comes from the same world so i would say probably from start to finish each card takes about 10 hours i think probably more than that the forest troll definitely took longer because i went kind of ham on the colors but, <laughs> but generally it takes about 10 hours from start to finish so what are some of the challenges you face when creating a piece of art hmm. it's um you know oftentimes the thing that's in your head doesn't always like to come out on paper <laughs> or, at the top or on the you know cintiq screen or whatever it is yeah it's, yeah sometimes like i have a vision in my head of i'm like okay i know what i want this to look like and then i'll sketch it over and over again and i'm like why doesn't it look like the thing that i want it to look like and you know then referencing back to the briefs and making sure i haven't forgotten anything making sure i haven't left anything out and sometimes you know i'll read it so fast and i'm like okay i think i know what this is and i'll start sketching and then I'll go back and realize I missed a key point. I'm like, oh, shoot, like, <laughs> that was my bad. I need to go back and change that because I missed the detail. And so sometimes you have to like be really intentional about not getting too excited, following all the instructions at first. But mainly, I mean, this is every artist's dilemma, too, of just like not being able to extract that image that's in your head. And usually that's when I start to consult um, my inspiration folders and kind of going through to see how other artists have done it better than I have. And then going back to the drawing board and kind of rethinking it like okay like maybe i should tackle it from this perspective um because i think when i originally did pixel calvary the perspective wasn't as exciting as it as it ended up being because i looked at that again and i was like i think i want this to be a little bit better than it is now and that's when i was able to like look at references of corgis running and just like oh like maybe it would be fun if it was like a playful downward angle and so it turned out to be a better result because i went back and revisited it so it's really just about getting your initial idea out there is probably like the most challenging thing because once that sketch is finalized and tightened up, it's kind of, it becomes more smooth sailing from there because you don't have to really think as much anymore. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up uh, Pixel Calvary specifically because I think people need to know what this image entails because it's pretty fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, if you want to start by talking about it, Dennis, and what you're thinking about behind it was. Yeah. So again, I can share narrative, right? But Pixie Cavalry is a card. It is a two attack, three health minion on both sides. Pixies in this world are creatures, they, they, their origins are in the clouds and they're, they're, they still have kind of sky kingdoms up there. But really, you know, they, they, um, their wings are for kind of short bursts of vertical travel from the ground to the clouds and the clouds to the ground. For overland travel, they, they are famous for their corgi mounts. And at first I, I knew um, I, I wanted to do a, a pixie that was, you know, writing something. Um, there's a series of, of characters in Deck of Wonders that are, are, are pixies, and they all are, you know, a, a base set of stats plus something. Uh, and in this case, the plus something for pixie cavalry is plus one, plus one. So in, instead of being a one, two minion, it is a two, three minion. And so I was like, I was talking to a friend and I was like, you know, I got to figure out what do you, what do you think of pixie rides? And he goes, obviously a corgi. I was like, <laughs> good one. That's pretty funny. And he's like, no, no, seriously, <laughs> seriously, look it up pixies ride corgis and i was like yes. you're full of it like what is this and i went and i found out that is totally a thing in folklore like corgis are the official dog of the pixie realm i guess <laughs> and, and so i sent it over to lauren i'm like i don't know how you're gonna make this look badass but um this pixie's riding a corgi <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yes 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 absolutely <laughs> the internet has been like yes 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 absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one blew up i didn't expect that to blow up but it was really it was funny to see the response to it 
mm-hmm. that people are so excited. But I think people in general just love cor- corgis. And I also, um, you know, especially because the pixie is supposed to be from the Cloud Kingdom, I was just like, oh, it'd be really great to make her, you know, a woman of color because like then I can like play with the curls and of her hair as like the like as the shape of the clouds because that's like you know some of my favorite thing is like mixing hair with like different elements or you know blending nature into everything and so just being able to play with that and then just having you know like this representation of a pixie that you don't often see was really a lot of fun uh, to be able to do and then playing with you know the expression on the corgi and the camera angle and then having the other side be like that fierce battle ready you know, version of them. So they do, they do look really, you know, cool and fierce, but she's still riding a Corgi. It was really a good time. <laughs> I didn't realize I should be terrified of Corgis until I saw that card, but I totally oh, yeah. understand now. Ferocity. <laughs> <laughs> They're intense. They got a lot of energy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I found out there is a, there's like pick, uh, excuse me, I'm pixie owners. Wow. Uh, corgi owners are are a complete like insane group i've had so many people flip out because they love corgis and uh, oh, yeah. saw that image so so i've had a blast talking about art with both of you i have one final fun question and this is something that i'm not sure how much you can reveal because i know you're still working on a few pieces of art and some things are secretive in this game but i want to ask each of you and we'll start with dennis i guess uh, what's your favorite piece of art in this game oh man um i love Nomis servant um, so you can, you'll be able to see in, in the pictures that accompany this and, and elsewhere online. Um, it's a one, one creature or one, one minion that draws one. And so a, a gnome itself, it doesn't seem very powerful, but it's going to serve up something that, uh, that hopefully is, uh, or if it comes out on the villain's villain side, hopefully is not. And in the lore, you know, gnomes in, in traditional folklore are, are all focused on, um, you know, uh, accruing capital on wealth on currency. And I was like, I wonder what it would look like if a gnome was, or if gnomes were very focused on social currency. You know, we live in a very social world. Uh, everything's on social media. And so maybe gnomes are just masters of social influence to the extent that they almost, they consider it uncouth to hold power directly. Um, but there, you can always find them kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes uh, just because they know how everything goes down. They always know every secret and they just, you know, they're, they're gnomes in the know. And so that gave rise to this. And, and Lauren turned back the art for this. And I, I really, I think what a gnome actually looked like, I had a very poorly formed idea of. Like, I, I did not have much to go on. Uh, I think it was like, you know, they still have beards, but it's not like big unkempt beards. It's like fancy man beards and uh, hipster or, or like, you know, elaborate. And I didn't know what I was talking about. I think you sent the guy from Hunger Games. Uh, yeah. And I was like, He's got like the swirlies. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so she returns this piece of art that is like a, a pretty boy on the on the one side. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I didn't know gnomes could be hot. <laughs> well, I also like wanted to give him like a snake-like nose because I want them to be like social snakes. So I yeah, want to exactly. like, yeah, have like an, an allusion to that of, um, you know, they just kind of look a little bit sneaky for some reason, but you can't put your finger on why. And yes. then when the card flips over, um, you know, and I'll save this for people actually looking at the art, you see kind of like the, the sinister nature of yes. like, like what they're plotting and like what they have behind their backs. And so it was really fun to be able to play with that dynamic of like, you know, this kind of sneaky, but kind of polite looking dude on one side. And then this is like really awful 
um, you know, like, these awful intentions on the other side, whether or yes. not, you know, just like personified or, you know, explicitly stated. But it was really fun to play with that dynamic a lot. And I really, I'm glad that you like that, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, well, it just, it was, I love it because it brought the idea to life so perfectly in a way I never would have anticipated for myself. So kudos to you, Lauren, and that, that is hands down my favorite card. That's awesome. Oh, fun. Now you, yeah. now you got to pick a child. As for me, <laughs> I think my child right now is still the forest troll because mm. when I first did the sketch for that card, I was I told Dennis I was like, "You've just uncovered my love for creature design." <laughs> I love making creatures, especially when uh, they get to incorporate just things from nature and being able to put bark in it and you know leaves and the you know the troll on one side um, has a little hidden secret which is really cute. And then on the other side, I just got to make it completely just, you know, just go ferocious and go feral. And it was just so much fun to be able to play with that. I feel like I got to be the most expressive on that card. And I, and I got to depict the trolls, you know, like kind of throughout, well, not to spoil anything, but, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to show up again. And mm -hmm. it was nice to be able to create this design that I could make recurring. When I, when I got into coloring this one, too, I really just uh, got to just kind of push myself in terms of what this creature looks like. First off, it's a powerful creature, so it should feel like a treat when you get it, at least on your side, uh, mm -hmm. when you get the card. <laughs> it's not going to feel so much fun when you get it on the villain side. You know, I wanted it to feel special in a way uh, that, um, you know, kind of got reflected through the card art. And uh, I was really happy to be able to create that. Pixie Cavalry was fun, but there's actually an upcoming card, a villain card, actually, that I'm really excited to start designing. And so, you know, when that is revealed, I hope that you guys get to enjoy it as much as I will be creating it because it's going to be mm. fun. <laughs> we'll, so. we'll, we'll send you guys a, a, a tweet or, or whatever uh, and be like, this is the one. This is what we were talking about. That's the one. That's the one I was excited <laughs> about. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hope it, you know, lived up to your expectations. But seriously, I'm really much looking forward to creating all the rest of the card art and it's just been a blast so far yeah this art is fantastic it's so much fun i highly recommend you guys go and check this out and speaking of which um how would they check it out let's start with a uh, deck of wonders how can they look into this game yeah so uh best place to go is www.deckofwondersgame.com and that is the blog for the game that's going to have the the latest and most interesting stuff you can find me on all the socials, so um, Twitter at Deck of Wonders with underscores between each word. Uh, on Instagram, Deck of Wonders, all one word. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Deck of Wonders, all one word. Between those four locations, you should be able to find me pretty easily. The Kickstarter coming soon page for Deck of Wonders is live now. So through those, I, I won't try to spit out the URL for that because it's impossible. Um, <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, Kickstarter coming soon pages don't show up in search. So you'll have to go to one of those places that I mentioned, the blog, deckofwondersgame.com, or Twitter, Facebook, or um, Instagram, and you'll be able to find a link through that to the Kickstarter coming soon page. And what I can do is I can put the link in the podcast description or the YouTube description, depending on how you're listening or watching this. Oh, yes, please. And Lauren, where can people find you? They can find me everywhere on social media at LAB, which is for Lauren A. Brown. Um, LAB Illustration, I-L-L-U-S-T-A-T-R-M. But anyway, um, LAB Illustration on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, now Patreon. I just started a Patreon on Sunday that I'm really excited about. And, um, and Etsy as well, if you're interested in buying any of my prints or any of, um, you know, small merch, like enamel pins, keychains, stuff like that. 
but that's where you can find me mainly on social. I usually post the most on Instagram and I'll be also like doing sketch updates and uh, reveals and early access things on Patreon as well. Fantastic. Okay, wait, one more thing to discuss is we have a, some card art to reveal to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, special so, for you guys. This is this is like world premiere stuff right here. Exclusive. World premiere. In fact, I haven't seen it either, so I'm going to look at it for the first time with you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> do you want to hear some of the story behind the card to tease it before you open? Let's do it. Awesome. Um, I'll, I'll start from a narrative point, and then, Lauren, please pepper in your thoughts and processes as we go. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to have an Ent in Deck of Wonders, um, just as that, like, you know, underrepresented, uh, underrepresented fantasy creature. And Ents traditionally are the, the guardians of the forest, you know, they're the caretakers of the trees. Um, and they're also very ancient and wise. And, and thinking about how to subvert that or how to twist it took me down two paths. First off, I was like, what What if that relationship to the forest is an antagonistic one? Um, so they're not necessarily like the, the forest's caretakers. They're the forest's, forest's wardens. Um, and what if they believe like the forest is out to get everyone? And, you know, that's that's certainly been the case in, in lots of fantasy. And they're like, we, we see these trees for what they are. We know you guys are up to no good. And we got to keep you in control. <laughs> and, and everyone else is like, I've, I've never seen a tree out of control. I've, I've never even seen a tree out of place. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> like, that's just because we're doing our job. And, and so that kind of spirit, very, um, you know, uh, Simpsons man yells at cloud esque yes. into <laughs> the, the ants. And the second idea around them being ancient, uh, uh, something that Mark Twain said really stuck with me, which is, I'm going to paraphrase and I'm sure I'll murder it, but we've, we've basically lost in our culture the idea of the blue collar sage, that the people we look up to as wise and learned and, and experienced uh, tend to either be like the hyper successful gurus and we're going to go all worship at the feet of Elon Musk and stuff like that. Or there are these recluses, hermits that have gone off into the mountains and you have to go climb a mountain to, to find them. And there is actually so much wisdom and, and experience and, and guidance right, right around us. Um, it just takes the form of, of the blue collar sage. And this, this person that, you know, they don't hold a degree. They don't, they don't have um, those, those marks for them. They haven't, you know, hold themselves away from the world, but they are wise and they've seen a lot and there's a lot of value there. It just comes out in a rougher way. Um, and I love that kind of also playing into the man yells at a cloud, get off my lawn kind of um, uh, persona. Um, I wanted the ant to embody that as well. These are ancient wise creatures, but they are cantankerous. Um, and they are, they're generally just pissed off at everyone all the time and, and don't take BS from anyone. And, um, and so that's kind of the, the ideas behind the ant that I, I fed over to Lauren. Yeah. And so I took that idea and really wanted to make this just curmudgeonly old man tree who just seemed disgruntled with everything that was going on around him. You know, just, I had to boil it down because I didn't want this card to get too crazy, but of him just like yelling at a, a normal little sapling, it's, <laughs> it's sentient, but it's, you know, just a baby ant that's like, maybe it's cutting up, maybe it did something that the, the ant didn't like. I really wanted to, to have that come across with like, you know, it has, this ant has wisdom and, you know, he has experience. But he's also just like, you know, he's old. He's so annoyed. Uh, you know, he's, he's <laughs> you don't not, have to be so mean about it. He's not so old. <laughs> <laughs> he just, you know, he wants order and um, kind of like obedience in the forest. And so on the good side, I really wanted him to kind of be yelling at this, this little sapling who's, you know, probably not doing much, but 
just like, <laughs> somewhat out of order. And then on the other side, the sapling's just like, okay, I'm glad that he's like done yelling at me. It's like yeah. kind of like an okay boomer kind of moment where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> the sapling can just kind of relax a moment it looks away. And so it was really fun to be able to incorporate that you know, again, getting the themes of nature into the figures and creature design of this world and being able to make this, um, you know, this tree's foliage look like beard hair and, you know, head hair and everything, giving it kind of like a sinister look, but he's not really the most threatening dude. He's just kind of um, just trying to maintain order the best he can. So uh, it was fun to play with the personality of this tree and, and a little sapling as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. A very good time. Man, guys, that's an excellent lead-in to the reveal, so let's everyone take a look at dun, 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 what the result is. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> I definitely see the cankerous ant in there. That's great. Yeah. Get off my lawn. I can't. I have roots. Yes. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> And it's so fun. Like I, I even uh, I see in the in the uh, upside down side where the ent is distracted and looking away. Um, Lauren, you were talking about relief. I almost saw like sassing back. Like yeah, you know, it, and we've all done that in school. Or excuse me, I was the bastard that did that in school. Where the, the teacher's <laughs> back was turned, um, and um, whatever you know, get away with it, whatever I could while they're distracted, and then snap yeah. back to attention when they when they turn. And I yeah. I, I relate to that very much in this card. Yeah, I did that to my mom once behind her back, but she could see my reflection in the mirror. <gasps> and <laughs> Are you still alive? Oh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I was just like, it was at that very moment where she knew she messed up. <laughs> and the worst feeling is when you suddenly realize that they know. Yeah, and oh. your mouth just goes into that O shape of like, oh no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> so I, I have a four and a five year old, and I catch them in that sort of thing all the time. Oh man, oh, they're not so. Yeah, it's so hard to keep a straight face because the way they jump and the way they like try to hide things real quick, and you're like, oh, you're adorable. But that was a very bad thing to do. But you're adorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope y'all yeah. like it. I hope you enjoy the art. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm in love with it, and and yeah, I'm excited to share it here first. Yeah, I love it. His hair is amazing. Oh, that was a lot of fun. Boom. It took a while, but it was so much fun to be able to accomplish that. Uh -huh. He doesn't. He doesn't have time to take care of that. He's out protecting everyone from these damn trees. No, that's right. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, strong growth to have a you know foliage this this lush. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back in my day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like we let yeah. our branches grow full. <laughs> protect all the other people in the forest this is like yeah like whatever <laughs> <laughs> well dennis and lauren it's been a blast having you on the podcast i really appreciate your time yeah it was it was so much fun being here yeah thank you so much um you know for having us on the show this was a lot of fun for sure like i said guys go check out deck of wonders and check out lauren's work too and we'll see you guys at the next stop bye 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 everybody bye Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. So Dennis is the designer for one. Oh God, I just screwed up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
Good start. Good start. All good. It happens. This is why it's wonderful to not do it live. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so dive into the game of one... D- I don't want to keep on saying one deck. <laughs> well, it is one deck. <laughs> it is one deck. Steve, move that forward. There. Okay. <laughs> Say it to yourself. Yes. <laughs> don't tell me what to do, Steve. <laughs> You're not my real former <laughs> self. That's right. <laughs> What's going to happen is. I'll like be editing this, and I'll kind of I might forget or something. I'll get to this point, I'm like oh, I can move all the way to the beginning. <laughs> I thought I thought I had five minutes left. I have twenty. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Sorry, former Steve or future Steve. 